0: You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Thirteen through seventeen. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those home. That's our gift to you. Let's read where the Apostle Paul writes. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor. Well, I hope you've gotten that scripture deep in your heart, that it's uh, really embedded in you over the last uh, three Sundays and today as well. Um, this is the conclusion of a, a small series on spiritual warfare, um, a series that I felt was really uh, pertinent and maybe even urgent for us in Life Church right now. And uh, that's been sort of the feedback from all of you a, as well. Uh, so, if that's the case, let's not end the series today, package it, box it up, put it away, and say, okay, did that, and we're done, and we move on to something else. Let's take this series, let's make the personal application that is necessary in our own lives, and let's begin to live it out and utilize the tools. Uh, that we have learned that we need to be able to fight off uh, the enemy and uh, all of his accusations and his snares, his plots and plans against us, okay? So this isn't something that you just say, okay, as, as a church member, I did that, and I'm done with that, and I move on. This is something that hopefully you're going to uh, incorporate into the rest of your life. And so on an ongoing basis, day by day, you're going to be very aware of the powers of darkness that are coming against you, trying to prevail against you, and you are actually going to live in an offensive way against the evil one and all of his attacks and all of of his uh, deceitful ways so that you are living in victory. And that's very much what we want for you in life, church, is that you are living in a high level of victory. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we're not going, we're not talking to you about overcoming in such a way that you live in some kind of utopian experience and you never have an adversary anymore and you, you never have battles and obstacles, there's never conflicts and that sort of stuff. If we created that, we would be doing you a huge disservice and setting you up for ultimate failure because in this life, there will be trials. In this life, there will be temptations, there will be circumstances, there will be opportunities for the enemy will take to come against you. And so we want you to be prepared for those as you are going forward. And so that's what this whole series has really been about, is is sort of renewing or upping that, that ability that we have. Uh, to come against the enemy and to, to fight our battles in a way that we're walking in a high level of victory, all right? So that's where we want you to land, even as we close this out today. We're far from over the war, okay? We're in the war, and uh, your battles are very personal. Uh, they're very real. They're very intense. And we want you to be able to fight them well. So let's pick up where we left off last Sunday. We talked about uh, the, the Shield of Faith last Sunday, you remember, uh, as we left, we kind of left you with a, a word picture there. Uh, we talked about how that, that the enemy uh, of, of the Israelites uh, the enemies of, of uh, god 's people, uh, when they would go to war uh, and even uh, when the Romans would go to war and these are the, the soldiers that, that Paul was actually observing when he wrote this particular passage was the Roman soldiers that were coming in and out uh, of, of the area where he was confined and uh, we know that, that these particular soldiers, when they went to battle and they carried their, their shield uh, faith, uh, this was a, a really, really important piece of their armor. A lot of times these enemies, as we said, would wrap uh, fabric around their arrows uh, and uh, they would, they would uh, put, dip them in, in some kind of pitch and uh, then they would pull the arrow back and as soon as they pulled it back and had it aimed and ready, they would light the pitch which would cause a fire on the tip of the arrow, and then they would shoot it uh, into their enemy's camp, all right? Uh, And so when this pitch would land, when it would hit and hit hard, the pitch would spatter out. And so this pitch was fiery, and it would spatter out and and touch other things. Other things would burn, including human flesh. Uh, And a lot of times it was so... Intense that soldiers would literally, out of fear and out of panic, they would actually drop their shield right there and run. And that made them even more open and vulnerable to the attack of the enemy, and they could die. And so the soldiers would create these shields. These shields would oftentimes be metal, uh, but they would have layers of leather on them, and they would soak the shields in water until they couldn't handle any more water. I mean, they were very, very uh, soaked with water. And when the, the pitch would, would hit into the leather, it would set there, and the leather would actually help to put out the fiery pitch uh, so that the soldiers didn't have to deal with that as much. And so when Paul says, you take up your shield, that you may quench the fiery darts... Of the evil one that's what he's talking about you live in such a way and position yourself in such a way that when the enemy is is shooting these arrows these these lies and deceptions and such at you you're able to quench that by faith all right so that it doesn't have that kind of impact now what what is the greater implication there for you and I in terms of our spiritual warfare I think it's this when the enemy has this kind of a strategy when he's, he's thinking through how he can destroy you, like he's thinking and, and of all the tactics, all the, the ways in which he can, can assail you uh, and, and destroy you, the best thing that you can do going into this to be prepared is that you already have a counter-strategy. All right? So you're not just there and you're just randomly waiting and wondering, well, when's the enemy going to come and what's going to be next and what am I going to have to deal with? And you live in, in this kind of randomness about your faith. No, you live in a place where you begin to understand the, the, the tactics uh, of the evil one. You begin to recognize the snares that are set out there for you. You begin to understand how the enemy is working against you. And then you create a strategy so that not only is the enemy buffeted when he comes against you, but you can actually demolish those tactics. You can demolish those snares and those traps of the evil one. And you're able to live very victorious. So you've got to have some kind of strategy against the schemes of the enemy because those those strategies have been personally tailored towards you. The enemy knows exactly how to get in there. He's he's watched you. um, He understands your makeup. He understands the traumas in your life. He understands the hurts and the wounds. He understands the vulnerable places. I remember talking to a guy once who was uh, a semi-professional football player. And uh, he was sharing how that um, they did some pretty underhanded things from time to time playing ball. Their whole goal was to win, and they saw the other team as an enemy. They had the, the whole wrong idea about competitive sports, okay? But he said, you know, we would, we would watch a quarterback. We would, we would watch films. We would watch a quarterback, and we would, we, would, we, would, we would discern really closely as to what was his vulnerable spots. In other words, if he had an injury, a, a previous injury, we'd go after that we'd make sure that some guy was there to hit him right there where he was vulnerable, where he was weak. Because we knew that if we, could, if we could get him in those vulnerable places, we could tear him down. And the more we tore him down, the less effective he could be. And the enemy would love to do that to you. That, the enemy is looking for those places where you are vulnerable. The enemy is looking for those places where in the past some things have happened. The enemy's looking at those things that you've been sympathetic to in the world of sin. The enemy's looking at those places where you get trapped up easy. The enemy's looking for those things that are trigger-trippers in your life, those things that'll get you quicker than other things will. And that's where he focuses in on your life. And so you've got to have this strategy. You've got to have this plan, all right? And, and, and those things come quick, all right? This isn't something where you're like, okay, I probably have some time here. I can can lay low or I can just chill or whatever. No, the enemy's coming after you quickly and the enemy will come again and again. Remember we talked about the waves and how they come and they keep coming and one hits you and another will hit you before that one's even finished with you, all right? And that's the way the enemy works, all right? And when Satan shoots these fiery darts and these missiles, uh, these arrows or whatever word analogy you want to use at you, you got to make sure you're protected, You got to do what is necessary to take care of yourself. And and our protection is in God. All right? It is not in ourselves. It is not in your own ability, but it is God who protects you. But your faith works for that good, that, that means of protecting you, if you will. All right? And so you can put your faith in God. You can put your trust in God. You can put your hope in God, if you will, and stay safely hidden behind God. The most Opportune time of the enemy is when you and I step out of the will and the plan of God for our lives. When we move outside of what God is doing and God's work within our lives. But I'm going to tell you something today. You can trust God. All right? Proverbs chapter 30, uh, uh, Proverbs 30 says uh, in verse 5, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. His word covers you. His word stands between you and the enemy. Psalm 33, verse 20 says, we wait in hope for the Lord. We're going to talk some more about that word hope and waiting in hope in a minute here. But, but he says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. All right? So he is that, that comes stands between us and the enemy. And so by faith, we live out His word, all right? He becomes the shield that we need. We trust in His word, and we're able to move forward from there. We're hiding ourselves behind Him. Um, And and we, we have to stand on a belief that every word He has ever uttered is completely true and good for us, and that we can stand in that truth. So when Satan throws these fiery darts at us, um, and they will come with such ferocity sometimes. I mean, I, I, re- I remember when I was probably about, I don't know, I was a young guy, okay? I'm not a young guy anymore, but I was a young guy back in the day. And back in the day, there was a, there was a, f- a phrase that, that went out from uh, an actor, a comedian. And some of you will, will remember the phrase. And if anything was done wrong, there was this automatic excuse that was given. Oh, well, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And it became like a a, a by-phrase to just excuse any um, wrong behavior or sinful behavior. And it didn't have to be really horrible things. It could just be anything, you know. Uh, Well, the devil made me do it. And and it was back in that day that some artists created the, the imagery of You had the the little red guy on this shoulder and the little white guy on this shoulder, and they kind of batted back and forth at each other. We really normalized the enemy. We we really made the enemy kind of a, a caricature. We really made the enemy not so dangerous and not so threatening and not so ferocious. But the Bible doesn't give us that kind of imagery. The Bible doesn't create that kind of picture for us. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, destroy. That's the kind of enemy that we are against. And so we have to begin to understand that that this ferocious kind of enemy is constantly coming against us, and we are only protected when we are hidden in God. Now, let me give you an example of how our shield of faith protects us when we put it on. Satan comes to you, or one of his minions comes to you, whatever, or some, some uh, demonic entity comes to you. You've done something in some way. Maybe you've messed up. And what, what does the enemy do immediately? The, the enemy comes in with lies. This, the greatest part of this battle is in your own mind. So the enemy comes in and says, Oh, you messed up this time. God couldn't possibly love you now. And what that does is that reinforces an old lie that you've learned already because somewhere along the way you got rejected or you got hurt or you got put down or whatever. And so you're already believing that in some way you're defective, or you're inadequate, or you're unloved, or you're unwanted, or all these kinds of things. And and that could spread all the way back to early childhood when some traumatic incident or episode happened in life. But you've never been able to work through it and get over it. And so it's a lie that the enemy came in in the point of trauma. He comes in and he reinforces that trauma and that false belief. And so now every time you mess up... (laughs) There's no grace for you, and the enemy comes in and and reinforces these lies that you have believed, and so what you have to do is you have to have a shield that allows you to quench these fiery darts that the enemy is throwing at you, and so the, the shield of faith comes against that kind of a message, and you say, oh, no. In Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrates his love for me in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. So even when I was a sinner, God still loved me. I am loved by God. Therefore, I can function as a child of God. And these are the kind of things the enemy does. The enemy comes in and says, look at all your problems. Faith says, oh, but look at the promises of God and what God has given to me. And I live out of the promise, not out of the problem. And so we move our focus into a different direction and a different perspective. The enemy comes to you and says, well, you've just wasted your whole life. A lot of you... Guys and gals will get that at about age 30 or so. You'll start to evaluate. You'll be looking and saying, oh, what have I done? What have I accomplished? What have I not done? why 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 am I not further along? Or you'll be one of those people who the enemy gives you the ability to start comparing yourself or the desire to start comparing yourself to others. Well, he's done that. She's done that. I've not done any of this. I must be less than. I must be inferior in some way. And so the enemy says, yep, you just wasted your life. Faith says, oh, no, God is not finished with me. And God is faithful to complete what he has begun. And so I live in that place of a faithful God, not of an inadequate system or individual. All right? And so so constantly the enemy wants to focus you in on something negative, something maybe depressing, or, or something that feels hopeless. And if we don't take up the shield of faith, if we don't live out of our faith... That's exactly what we will do. We will, we will get negative. We will get critical. We will get depressed. We will get hopeless in so many ways when I talk about and use words like hopelessness and depression and those kinds of things, I'm in no way minimizing those situations where individuals have been diagnosed with some type of clinical uh, depression or something that is acute and is, is above a low-grade hopelessness or, or depression that all of us suffer from time to time because of just the circumstances of life. All right, so I'm not in any way discounting you if you're in a deeper battle there, but I believe that if you are in a deeper battle there, it's extremely important that you understand spiritual warfare so that you are able to fight this thing as you're going forward, okay? The shield of faith protects us from these arrows. Then we're able to say, Lord, you know, I don't understand what's going on. I can't always see you working in my life. I don't always hear your voice, That's an honest and legitimate confession that we should be comfortable saying, all right? Um, But what we continue with then is, but Lord, I know you are bigger and stronger than any problem I have. I know you are true and eternal and loving, and I won't believe these lies from the enemy." And so you're living in a way that is proactive. You are living in a way that is offensive rather than defensive against the enemy of your soul. And so with that in mind, we're going to talk about the last couple of uh, these pieces of armor. In verse 17, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. He uses a similar language um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 as well, when he says, since we belong to the day, we're, we live in the light, we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Listen to what he says. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So this helmet is your salvation. Now, The the, the Roman soldier's helmet was made of this very kind of thick leather. Uh, Then it was covered either with like brass or iron. Um, uh, It wouldn't be very comfortable, actually. Uh, But uh, it was very important that the soldier um, would, um, would put some... Like sponge from the sea inside of it, and they would soften it up on the inside so they could fit it down and it, it would be more comfortable and it would be a tighter fit like it would stay then all right, but the helmet would would be tailored and fitted over that particular soldier one it'd be very difficult for one soldier to wear the helmet of another soldier very comfortably okay and then some of these soldiers as as the the roman uh, um, uh, government grew and expanded and there became a greater hierarchy, some of the soldiers started to have crest on their helmets and plumes, and that was so that those men who were following that particular commander or leader would be able to see them anywhere in the battle and could, could follow them and know which direction that they were to, to go in following their particular leader inside of the battle. And I think there's a little parallel there that you and I need to look at. When we are going into battle... We need to get our eyes off ourselves. We need to fix our eyes, as the Bible says, on Jesus. You're only going to be victorious if your eyes are focused in the right place. And that is on Jesus Christ, who is your Lord and who is your defense. All right? And so as you are going into battle, you need to be able to see Jesus. All right? You need to be able to see and understand who Jesus is inside of your battle. That's, that's absolutely essential for your victory. All right? And so we need to fix our eyes on the Lord. And of course, this helmet of salvation that we're talking about refers to this finished work of Christ on the cross. Um, you know how this works. Um, Mankind fell into sin. All right, that was through the original sins of Adam and Eve. Uh, Since then, all of us have been born as sinners. Um, This good news story that David referenced with with the story Bible is God's plan, God's means of rescuing us, which comes through Jesus. He is the Redeemer of all of mankind. This was a plan that God instituted, and it required the death of Jesus on the cross. uh, And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead on resurrection day. Uh, this is all this story that we have, and it's, it's a part of this helmet, if you will, of salvation. We live out of this rescue. We live out of this story. And so when you are finding yourself in a place where you feel you are down, or you're being buffeted, or the enemy is coming against you, that's the place you live in. You live in this understanding that I am rescued. I am taken by Jesus. I belong to the Lord. I am His. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my high tower. He is my fortress. He is my stronghold. He is my deliverer. And so we live out of these places of identity with the Lord. When you and I take the helmet of salvation, we're accepting in in doing that. We're accepting what Christ did for us on the cross. And this is how you are accepting this truth of salvation, all right? You are accepting that the cross is enough. You don't need anything else. It is the cross where sin was put down. And it is from the cross... That Jesus was resurrected in power. That is your identity and that is your security. And so when you put on the helmet of salvation, you are putting on that security and that trust in Christ alone and nothing else. So you don't put it on and then waffle and misstep thinking, I need something else. I need some other thing or I need to do something else in some other way. No, Christ has done a completed work for you on the cross. It's yours. You put on the helmet of salvation there and you stay in that position In Jesus Christ. So you're not depending on your good works. You're not depending on what other people think of you. You're not not, uh, depending on what you've accomplished in your life. Uh, You're not depending on what you own or what you possess. You are depending solely and completely in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in his resurrection. that's where you live. That's where where we all have to be. And so we are, by putting on the helmet of salvation, we are declaring our faith in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins and to provide for us a position in Him whereby we can stand. And we're saying that our own goodness and our own reputation are not any way capable of doing any of that. It is only covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is sufficient. So please hear me as I'm talking to you today, all right? If you are depending on anything, on anything, to secure your position in Jesus Christ other than the blood of Jesus Christ, then you're like a soldier going out to war without a helmet on. You're vulnerable. You can be taken out, all right? You can't fight spiritual battles outside of Jesus Christ. You'll lose. You'll be destroyed. If you don't know Jesus, don't fight the devil, all right? It's a dangerous place for you to be. Don't be presumptuous. If you're not prepared, if you're not ready, if you're not walking with this armor that I've been preaching to you about these, these four Sundays now, if you're not there and you don't have that and you're not living out of that, that kind of equipped position, then don't go, don't go fighting the devil. Don't, don't mess with him, all right? All right? because you're not ready, you're not equipped, you're not prepared, and you will lose. You will be destroyed if you try to do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, I read to you. When you've put on this breastplate, this this, this faith, and, and this faith is set with love, folks. You, you, you don't this, this breastplate doesn't fit without love. That's a, that's a, a piece of it, all right? A, you can't get away from that, all right? Faith and love, all right? And that's, that's what he says in, in Thessalonians here, all right? You can put on this breastplate of faith and, and love and this helmet for the hope of salvation. These are the two places in your heart and in your mind. That is where the enemy is going to come against you. All right. These are absolutely essential pieces. You, you cannot function and fight your battles unless you are protected in your heart and in your mind. And this helmet of salvation, this, this hope that we have in salvation in God, okay, that gives us a confidence because when we are walking in that hope, all right, it doesn't matter what happens to us. Ultimately, we know that we win the victory. And that's where we have to live. We, we can't live in the place of always worrying and fretting over, am I going to make it through tonight? Am I going to make it through tomorrow? What's going to happen to me next? What am I going to deal with? What if? What if? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do that? No, we have to say, all right, I know and I understand. I am convinced and I believe by faith I will be victorious. At the end, I have victory. So I already have the victory that I am going to be battling through to get there. Is mine and it's only in Christ. All right. What Paul is saying in Ephesians is that this helmet of salvation um, is for you, the believer. Now, he's not referring in Ephesians to being born again when he says put on the helmet of salvation. Remember, Paul is talking to people who are already saved. Rather, what it means there, I believe, is we are resting in the assurance of what jesus has already done and what we have received by faith and so when we put on this helmet of salvation we are putting on a helmet that that we stand in faith believing everything that god has already said and promised to us and so we are putting our hope in god king david gives us insight into this power of hope he says in Psalm 42, verse five, he actually says it three times throughout Psalm um, 42, and then again, I think in 43, he says, "Why? He's talking to himself now." And let me just say this, as a side note, sometimes you just need to step back, take a deep breath and do some good, healthy self-talk. Just talk to yourself. Don't talk to anybody else. Just talk to yourself and tell yourself what you already know all right live in the knowledge of what you have and king david says why are you so downcast david oh my soul and why is there turmoil inside of me and then immediately he makes a declaration he says hope in god hope in god i shall again praise him my salvation, all right? That's where you and I live. When you feel downcast, when you are feeling like you've been enveloped by sin and by the world and by culture and all these other things, and you feel hopeless or you feel intimidated or you feel fragmented or you feel defeated or whatever it, 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 it is that brings this sense of hopelessness or darkness to you, this low-grade kind of depressed place in your life, talk to yourself. And say, look, here's what I know. I know that my God is for me. He is not against me. I know that I have been made an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb, the testimony of my lips, and that I'm dying to my own self here in this world. I know that greater is He that is in me than he that is in this world. I know that He is faithful to the very end. I know that He is coming again because He rose from the dead and He has victory over death and hell itself. I know He's already defeated the devil and He's alive and He will defeat the devil in my life. I know that He goes before me. He is my front guard, my rear guard, my my cloud over me by day and my fire by night. He is the foundation underneath me. And I live there. I live in that place. And folks, there is nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go but to the Lord. And so this helmet of salvation gives us confidence because we know that no matter what happens, Ultimately, I have victory. And here's what salvation does for you as a believer. It infuses you with the optimism that you need to be able to carry on. We don't walk well when we feel hopeless. We don't walk well when we feel despair. We don't walk well when we feel fear gripping us. We just just don't function well. But here's what the Bible says. God orders the steps of the righteous. You walk out of your identity and your relationship with your heavenly Father. And so you move in that because you're infused with that. We're not talking about, okay, I'm walking through life, and life buffets me, and if I can find God somehow, I can bump up against God. Maybe a little bit of godness rubs off on me, and I get a little bit further, or I get a little bit better. And here's the the thing. You and I are so oriented to not feel any kind of pain. We don't want to hurt at all, and, and, and Western culture has created this sense that we deserve to be pain-free. We shouldn't feel any pain. We shouldn't hurt, and so we have... I mean, go to Walgreens for crying out loud. Just go down the aisle that says painkiller. Look what is down there. It's crazy how many choices you have for painkillers. Why? Because we don't want to hurt. We don't want to feel pain. We don't want to feel bad. And so we just want somebody to make it to feel a little bit better. It's amazing how many times someone comes in the office, just tell me what to do, pastor. I just don't want to feel this anymore. I don't want to feel bad. Just make me feel better. I just want to feel good. Just make the pain go away. That's a country song. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to give you Jesus, all right? The culture will tell you all kinds of stuff and cause you to to believe in something that isn't there, all right, which brings us to the sword of the Spirit, all right? Let's talk a minute about about that. I I believe that, that when you are infused with the power and the presence of Jesus, you will be able to handle this sword that... Paul talks about, all right? The rest of verse 17 says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Roman soldier was about two feet long. It was crafted from iron. Um, it was sharpened on, on both sides, uh, so it was double-edged, all right? In, in, in hand-to-hand combat, uh, a soldier's uh, sword was like the primary weapon. Like, I mean, you had to have a sword against the enemy. And Paul said that our sword, the sword of the Spirit, is nothing short of the Word of God, all right? Listen to what the the writer of Hebrews says in in 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active. In other words, it it moves, all right? The Word of God has life to it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is a powerful weapon that you have the Word of God. You don't have to raise your hand, but check your heart here. How many of you have an intentional, measured time in the study of God's Word? the most important weapon you have. How many of you are really equipping yourself with the word? Pastor, I, I, I asked Pastor Dave if his sword was here. He has a sword. Or he did have a sword, I guess. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> he used to pull it out every once in a while in the office and Swing it around. He would yell braveheart or something. I don't know know what he was doing exactly. It was great. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. But he had a great sword. But here's the thing. Most of the time, this is no reflection on Pastor Dave at all, by the way. Most of the time, it was in the corner by his desk, just propped up there in its sheath. It just sat there. Just on occasion. He pulled it out, looked at it for a second, yelled brave heart, and put it back, and it was over. Is your life indicative of a coffee table Bible? Or are you really in the Word? Is the Word of God just sitting around somewhere, and you know, you know it somewhere? If we looked at your Bible, like if all of us just got our Bibles out and just stood up and we just shared our Bibles with each other, is your Bible really shiny? Doesn't count if you just got one off the back today, now. Okay, is your Bible just really shiny and still new, or is it weathered? Have you been through it? Is it all marked up? How's the binding look on your Bible? Is it sleek and clean and fresh? Or is it wrinkled and cracked? And maybe even a few pages are falling out here and there. The sword was never created to rest in the sheath all of its life. It was created to be taken out and utilized. And at the most important times in one's history, when you most need victory, in your life, when you are most assaulted by the enemy of your soul. Does that not tell you that that's the place the enemy would most come against you, is in the place of truth? That the enemy would work hard casting doubt on the word of God? And this has been happening from the beginnings of God's word being written. It's been assaulted. it's, It's been attacked And it it happens right now. It happens today. Listen, even in our culture in America, we're at a place where you can't... It is hard to know what is truth anymore in the world. And I'm not just talking about in terms of Scripture, but in every kind of way. There's there's real news, there's fake news. There's real truth, there's fake truth. And people who are supposed to be leading you are telling you that some don't even matter. I'm telling you, truth matters. Pure truth living, unadulterated biblical truth matters. And it needs to matter to you because it is the difference between whether you win or lose in this battle with your enemy. And so you have to be in God's word. And there, there was heresy in the day that Paul was writing these letters to the church. John wrote, First John is all about heresy and trying to, to prevent heresy. And today, through the Internet and through satellite television and all these kind of things, there is influence that is happening over and over and over, and it's more prevalent than it's ever been. And there's culture out there that is, is attacking the Word of God and, and trying to appeal to your emotions to embrace the lie and the deceptions, and you've got to stay in God's Word. I don't, I don't want to be a person on a soapbox here, but for, for just a minute, I, I, I want to tell you, be careful what you're listening to. Be careful what you're watching out there in the world, all right? Be careful even when you're blogging, all right? When you're, when you're Googling subject matter, all right? Be careful, all right? There, there are so many people out there, and, and I, I realize that I have some strong opinions here, but if, if you're relying on someone on television to pastor you and to mentor you, and to preach you the truth. uh, You're living in a dangerous place when you do that. There's some wonderful stuff out there on the internet. There are wonderful books, magazines, blogs, commentaries. There's so much that you can get, and and it's good. But there's a lot out there that isn't. Who's going to tell you what's good and what's not? Who's going to tell you what's truth and what's lie? Who's going to tell you what will free you and what will bind you up? you need to have a watermark. You need to have a baseline. You need to have a place that you go to, and that is God's word, all right? And when you're fighting the enemy who's giving you lies and deceptions, you need to be able to use that word in those places. Folks, it's, it's crazy what's out there. There, there. there are guys out there right now that are, that are teaching that you can actually leave your body, and they're calling themselves Uh, Christian evangelical evangelist and they're telling you you can leave your body and go to somebody else and pray for them that your spirit will go and touch that person and pray over them Uh, your prayers will touch that person through the power of the Holy Spirit but you don't leave your body and go to somebody else this is crazy stuff all right but that's the kind of stuff that is this out there and there's one very influential celebrity right now and she has been labeled, called, you can look it up and blog it. She has been called the high priestess of the New Age religion. And she is propagating this lie and what she says is, if, if God for you is still about belief, it's not truly God. That God is more about feeling than about belief. If I'm going to paint a picture for you of God on your feelings or mine, oh my goodness, you cannot shape God based on your emotions and your feelings or your experiences. God is shaped by the Word. God is shaped by the truth, the revelation of that truth that comes to you through the Holy Spirit. That is the only place that God needs to be shaped in your lives. And so you live out of that truth and not out of somebody else's feelings or emotions or circumstances or situations. There's so many, I, I have to stop. I, I can't go down that path with you, but be careful. Just be careful. You, you Watch out for false prophets. Walk, watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Watch, watch out for all these kind of things, all right? We've got to put everything that comes into us up against the only standard and that is the word of God and so you've got to be in God's word so you have to unsheath your sword if you will all right and and you've got to use God's word correctly not in just the way it feels good to you or you want to or in a way that can manipulate a circumstance or a situation. Don't just live out of uh, finding some pet verses that satisfy your carnal desires. Live out of the whole truth, all right? Live, live, live out of the, the whole world uh, word, all right? So there you have it belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of of peace, the the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. And Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, let me close here in the next just couple of minutes with this. When we wrap this series up here today, I, I want you to have a good understanding not only of spiritual warfare, and I hope I've given you some things that you can start with and you can start to build on. But I want you to understand um, one more dynamic about this whole thing, and that is God's role in spiritual warfare. Because so far, what I, I've, I've done is, is I've helped you to see that there is an enemy that is assaulting us. And we are, when we've done everything to stand, standing. So we are standing against the enemy. What is God doing? That's a great question. Where is God in our spiritual warfare? Where is God in our battle? And so I want to just kind of give that to you and and try to seal this up with that understanding of where God fits into my battle plan, all right? In the Old Testament, I think there's there's about three verses that I, I would love to share with you that I think help us to understand the character of God when we are in battle, all right? The first one comes from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Familiar to a lot of you. I, I love Old Testament, and this, this is one of my favorite passages uh, in general, but especially when it pertains to fighting uh, against the enemy. It says, have I not commanded you? This is what God says to the Israelites. Have I not commanded you? He's asking them a question to think about this now. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, and courageous. That's what we're called to do. Is to be strong and to be courageous. He says, "Don't tremble. Don't be dismayed." And then this is what he says, "For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go." Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what kind of battle you're in. Doesn't matter what the enemy's waging against you. God is there. He is present to you. He is with you. Don't let the enemy tell you you're alone. Don't let the enemy tell you that there's nobody with you. All right? You have God in every place you would go. He is there. He is present. Matter of fact, this is the beauty. God is not only with you where you are. He knows where you're going. And he's already there waiting for when you get there. Wow. Wow. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is everywhere, and you can't get away from him. But you can resist him, and you can hold him off from doing what he is willing and wanting to do in your life by not living in the place where you are equipped and wearing your armor. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. This is what the Lord says to you, and I hope you can hear it today. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Let's, Let's put that in our terms. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged because some big adversary is out there coming against you. Don't be afraid because circumstances have mounted up and they seem big. Don't be afraid because you don't have or don't know the answer for the circumstance that you are in yet, all right? Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is the Lord's. He brings you into it. He equips you. He gives you the armor that you need to stand. And when you've done everything, he says, stand. And then he goes to battle on your behalf. This is our God. And then Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 22. Do not fear them, the enemy, whoever, whatever that is. Do not fear them. For the Lord your God, I love this, he's the one who's fighting for you. Can you see him that way? Can you see yourself loved enough and valued enough that the Father is fighting for you? He's fighting for your defense. When I was a a kid, I was in middle school, we used to have open gym in our little country, high school. All the middle schoolers and high schoolers shared the same gym. And we would go in. There'd be free time at lunch, and then there'd be free time later in the afternoon. We'd all just go in. And you could just grab basketballs and just shoot basketballs. And I had this idea that I would like to shoot basketballs. I wasn't a Pastor Dave, okay? And uh, I wasn't the, oh, the most athletic guy, you know? I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I'm not the Marlboro man, you know? I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not muscle and brawn. You know, but I wanted to shoot some basketballs, and so I I got a basketball and I started to shoot it, um, and I had never shot a basketball. My dad didn't teach me how. I didn't know any form. I didn't know anything about shooting a basketball. So I just sh- you know shot the ball up there, and a couple of guys started to make fun of me, and it felt bad. You know, it just it just felt bad. It felt embarrassing. And so I took the basketball, and I walked kind of off to the side. And I waited until they were kind of over far away. And then I tried shooting the basketball again. And uh, I didn't do a great job again, you know. And so they happened to turn about the time I let the ball go. And so now they're yelling across the gym and making fun of me. And so I'm like, "I, I I don't want to do this anymore. Well, the backdrop of this story is there was a new kid that came to school. He was from New York. This is down in South Georgia. He had a different swagger than South Georgia boys had. He was just a little bit different. And he was brawny. And he was tough. And he grew up in a rough neighborhood. But he had a lot of, like, compassion about him. And he really liked championing the underdog. And he walked over to me. And just he just took that ball out of my hands. And I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, I was intimidated by this guy. I didn't even know him. I knew these other two. They were rats, okay? But I didn't know this guy. He just took that ball. He put it under his arm, and he looked at me. And he says, come here. Well, I mean, what am I going to do, you know? <laughs> so I walk over there, and I'm standing by him, and he's standing now. And by this point, he's got the attention of everybody in the gym. And he goes, Hey, my name is Donovan. I'm from New York. Everybody's like, and he goes, all of you, shut up. (laughs) He says, come here. He hands me the ball, and he says, don't any of you move? He goes, shoot. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to shoot this basketball now, you know? But I shot the ball, didn't even make the rim. He says, grab the ball, throw it to me. Don't any of you move. Here, kid, shoot. And then he helps me a little bit. I hit the rim. Long story short, five shots in, I made a basket. First basket I've ever made. And the guy goes, any of you mess with him? You mess with me. I walked away. (laughs) A different man. The little boy just grew up a notch. Because you know what? I had somebody on my side. I had somebody that would fight for me. That made me a different person. Jesus died for you to be set free. He went in and took captivity captive and released. He released. He set free. This Jesus has done the same for every one of you. You have one on your side who is fighting for you. I've got to stop. That's where you stand. You stand in that kind of God who says in Romans 8, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who has loved us and He fights for us. And the conclusion of all of that is Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me. I just want you to stand right where you are in your seat there. I want you to stand because the Bible says when you've done everything else to stand, stand. And I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to be dismissed, all right? This is the end of a series, but it's not the end of the battle. Stay in it. Fight hard. Be strong. Be courageous. Know that your God is ever before you, and He is fighting on your behalf. And He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you the ability to be victorious. So in all of life, when you've done everything you can do to stand... Then stand in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, our sole and only authority. And we declare the day that we will receive the authority that has been entrusted to Jesus as he has entrusted it to us. And we will walk in truth and we will be faithful. And God, we pray that you will arise and the enemy will be scattered. We ask you that you will help us, that we will walk in full armor. Give us a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for your word, that we may stay in it, that we may be planted in it, God. We pray that you will renew our minds and give us the ability and the strategies that we need to take captive every thought that sets it up against you. We ask you, God that you will help us to see ourselves rightly before you according to your word, your promise, and your work. And that in doing so, we will stand positionally exactly where you want us to be. God, unite us together in faith that we may be your church, full of life, living out of the power of the resurrection for the glory of your Father, Jesus. Do this. And the whole church says... Amen. Amen. You're...